And so I want to talk about the importance of protecting relationship today. Now, I, I, we talked about this a couple of Wednesdays ago um, about protecting relationships with one another, but I want to take it from a different angle today. And so if you have your Bible, would you open up to Galatians chapter 4? Galatians chapter 4, and then we'll also be reading, probably reading some in Galatians chapter 5. So um, if you can find that, we'll read a couple of scriptures from Galatians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 1. Galatians 4 verse 1 it says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the servant. Although he owns everything, but he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also, while we were children, we're held in the bondage under the ele elemental, the, the inferior things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, why don't you say that with me? When the fullness of time, the fullness of time. So up until this certain point, the date that God decided, okay, at this point, I'm going to shift everyone into a completely new creation. Up until this point, you've been held in bondage to inferior thinking and inferior things. But at a time that I set, things are going to shift. And it says, in the, when the fullness of time came, God decided, and he says, I'm going to send forth my son, born of a woman, under the law, under the same curse that everyone's under right now. So that in, in order that he might redeem those who are under this law and under the curse. That we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Understand, up until this point, it was not okay. And it wasn't, it was, people were scared of God. Not the way you're supposed to be scared of him, but scared of him. Like, they didn't want to go into the same room with him because they would fear of dying. The Israelites didn't want to climb up the mountain with, with Moses. Did you guys know that God invited all of Israel up on top of the mountain into his presence, that he didn't just invite Moses. But when the people saw the clouds and the thunders and the lightning, they were like, no, we don't want to go. We're too scared. You're scary, God. But Moses, the Bible says, knew him as a friend. So there was no fear of the thunder and the lightning and the earthquakes and all this stuff because Moses knew that's not who he is. That's creation's... Um, response to his authority and his power he's really not like that and he wasn't afraid to go up on that mountain with him so people had ingrained in their mind God is big God is scary he will kill you <laughs> if you disagree with him if you worship other idols or if you don't do the right thing it is very possible you've breathed your left breathed your last breath really that's how they thought about God I mean even the priests would go in with a rope tied to their ankle just in case Anything wasn't right inside of them. Because if anything was wrong, if they had a pimple that morning, they would fall over dead. And they would have to drag him out by the rope. This is how people knew God. This was the, and this was the appropriate understanding of God in that times. But God says, look, when the fullness of time comes, I'm going to show everyone who I really am. I want to reveal to them my real heart. So I'm going to send Jesus, who's going to be under the same curse, and he's going to live a perfect lifestyle so that people can have the same opportunity, right? So that no longer do we look at him from a servant's mindset, like, oh, we don't do what he says, bad things happen to us. 
we can be shifted, where we can be adopted in. Everyone say, I've been adopted, I've been adopted. As, a as a child of God. So now we are sons and daughters. It's not okay for us any longer to look at God through the eyes of fear. That kind of fear. Then he says, and because, verse 6, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent his own spirit, the spirit of his son, to live inside of your hearts so that your heart cries out, Daddy, Father. Oh. Do you know that that aching, that thing inside of you that is longing for God, is God himself living inside of you, calling out for himself? Yeah. Deep calling to deep. Oh, man. Like, we think that we can just go find God. We think that we can pray, and we can do rituals, and we can do re religious traditions and find God. And that's absolutely not true. The only way that we can find Him is to respond to His Spirit's cry inside of us. When we come in tune with that Spirit in us that says, There's Daddy. Daddy, Father. Then we, when we respond to that voice, we immediately begin connect, uh, connection to him in a way that's not a servant, but as a son and as a daughter. Today, I want you to begin to continue to shift the way you think about God. He's not angry. He's in a good mood. He really loves you. He even loves the person next to you. You're his favorite. Why don't you say that? I'm God's favorite. And now, to make it all official and legal, look at your neighbor and say, you're his favorite too. But I know I'm really his favorite. <laughs> I'm just playing. Like, how? There's another scripture that says, What manner of love has the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. So he says, Therefore, you are no longer a servant, verse 7, but a son. A son then is now an heir to the whole inheritance. So you're an heir to God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were servants to those who were by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather have been known to God, right. how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elementary inferior things to which they desire to enslave you all over again? All right, this is where we're going today. And then verse 10, I'll read it just so you... It says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And I'm going to stop there because I don't want to read too much today. Actually, one more verse. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. What he's telling them is, you came into this kingdom through faith. Jesus Christ came, lived as a man, conquered um, death, hell, the grave, conquered the curse for you. Gave you the rights to be called sons and daughters. You became a son and a daughter. And now you're returning back to elementary, inferior things that have one purpose. That's to make you servants again. He's like, why are you doing this? They had started this whole thing where they got saved and they joined into the gospel of the kingdom, which is the good news of the kingdom. That we're sons and daughters. And they started observing old traditions. They started doing the feast and the ceremonies and the, and the Jewish customs that they had grown up with. Some of them went back to some of their pagan rituals. 
of observing the new moons and, and the, the seasons and the alignment of the stars. And they would have these festivals and all these things. And he's saying, what are you guys doing? Don't you know that you've been set free from that stuff into relationship with the Father, the only one that matters? So why would you make yourself, again, accountable and a slave to things that are inferior? Galatians 5, I want to read verse 1. And later I would like for you to read the whole thing because it's amazing, of Galatians 5. But Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to any yoke of slavery. He says the whole reason Jesus came was not just to set up a kingdom. It was to make you free. Amen? I'm going to take my time with this because I I really want you to get it. All right? I want to get it. I want to hear it more. Because the more I hear it, the more I understand it. You guys know that? Like, we have to train ourselves to not get um, bored with hearing certain things. Like, oh, I've heard that before. When we do that, we cut off the nutrients from that word. So when I hear something, I'm like, I've heard it 15 times before. I want to make myself hear it again because there's nutrients in it that maybe I haven't gotten yet. The word righteousness does not, um, is not an indication of outward behavior. The word righteousness, which is what God's called us to be righteous. He said, be holy because I'm holy. Right? So that word holy and righteousness, it's not a behavioral thing. It's not an outward thing. It's not a practice thing. It's a heart thing. It's a relational thing. And I just want to set that foundation as we jump into, jump into some other things. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us the way we think he sees, the way we think he sees us. <laughs> he sees us through the eyes of his son in right relationship with him. It's called positional righteousness because Christ is righteous. I stand in him so God sees me through his son and he sees me righteous too. Even though I know I'm not righteous. Even though legally, if I looked through my life, there would be many things that would discredit me from righteousness. But when I stand in Christ, behavior is important, but it's secondary. Guys, listen to me. Behavior in life is important, but it's secondary. The most important thing is relationship. You cannot fix what's out here without fixing what's in here. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. If there are things, if there are weights, burdens, uh, addictions, sins, bondages that are on our life, we can't just stop doing that thing and think the bondage is gone. If we have an addictive behavior in our life, and say it manifested itself in drug addiction, we can stop doing drugs, and the bondage is still in our heart. What happens to many of us is we have addictive behavior, we stop that thing, and we replace it with a good addiction. (laughs) Amen? Used to, I did drugs, and because I know I have to have something to keep me busy, now I'm going to spend hours and hours of of reading my Bible every week, because I know if I do that thing, even though it's a good thing, it's still under the bondage of addiction. Read your Bible, keep reading it. But what I'm saying is, deal with the, the root of addiction. Don't just stop the thing, deal with the root. 
So what he's saying to them is like, hey, you guys, there are roots of things inside of you, and you're observing these inferior, exterior things, and you're not remembering the relational thing that's most important. Right? Amen? This doesn't mean that we don't have maintenance to do in our life. It simply means the maintenance has to start internally. Okay? This is so important because it would be very easy for all of us to fall into the same trap that those in Galatians fell into. And it was a trap called legalism. Legalism. Say that with me. Legalism. I have come up with my own definition of what I think legalism is. But it's putting undue emphasis on external controls instead of internal controls. That's legalism. It's saying, hey, you guys have to look like this, you have to look like this, you have to act like this, and that will prove to us that you're okay, because we can't see your heart. And I don't trust you. And because I don't trust you and your relationship with God in your heart, you've got to show me some things to make me believe you. And that, that comes into the church, and it's called legalism. And we make rules and we say, hey, because we don't want relationship with people, guys, listen to me. We try to replace knowing people with a list of rules. It's kind of one of my frustrations right now with us not being sovereign as a church yet. Because I report to a, a committee of great men, pastors. They have their own worries and concerns. And I come to them and I, f I fill out and send them reports of how our church is going. But that piece of paper can't tell our church's story. I want them to come here and see us and feel us and experience this. Because the paper cannot ever touch what a relationship can touch. Like, I can't fill out a report and you know how my ministry is doing. That's something I've got to shift here. Vanessa can't give me a report and me know Generate's doing okay because of what I read on a piece of paper. I need a relationship with Generate. I need to talk to the kids myself. I need to hear what's going on. Because that causes much more intimacy and connection than a piece of paper does. And so what we've done in the church is we said, hey, fill out this paper. Do you have this addiction? Do you do this, do this? Fill it all out and we'll know you by what's on the paper. And that's, that's what the law was. The law was a piece of paper that said, hey, if you can do all these things, we know that your heart's okay. It's impossible. Even, even the Bible says in, in, when, when Samuel came to anoint David as the next king, he's like, don't you have one more son anywhere? These guys are not the guy. He's like, man looks at the outward appearance. But God is the one who looks at the heart. And what I want us to do as a church is begin to shift our emphasis off of the exterior. That doesn't mean it's not important. It means it's secondary. I'm going to say that a couple of times today, probably. The most important, the primary thing is the heart. And the way, we, the way we fix one another's hearts and our own hearts is we're in relationship with the Father and we're in relationship with one another. I can even call you on the phone and say, hey, how's your week going? And you can tell me all the answers that I want, that I want to hear or don't want to hear, and I still don't know you. How many of us do that? People ask us a question, we have the pat answer. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's okay. It's been a good week. Uh, I haven't been feeling great, but I'm doing better, or whatever it is. We have our answers, which are fine, but they're surfacey. 
And I want us as a church to begin to shift from even, let's start first with our, our relationship with God. I want us to move past the surfacey relationship with God into intimacy with Him. And as we do that, I want us to do that with one another in the church. I want us to know one another. Like just by looking at you, I can tell if you're doing well or not. Just by you looking at me saying, oh, he's having a good day or he's not having a good day. And then let's do something about it. Let's, the Bible says bear one another's burdens. Right? This is all about relationship. And if we don't fix that with God first and we fix it with one another, then we will easily fall into the trap of legalism. Because relationship's not important to us. So something has to take that place of importance and it will always be a list of rules. We're trying this with, even with our church staff, people that we call in leadership. Used to, I had requirements. Like, look, if you weren't here for this, this, and this, and if you missed any meeting, we'd have to have a little talk, this and that, because by you being there, I know that you're okay. Now we're trying to shift this. Let's be in relationship with one another. I tell them, hey guys, if you can't make a meeting that we have, just let me know. It's cool. We're still going to have the meeting. We're going to be okay. Am I telling the truth, guys? It's important for you to be at the meeting, but if you can't, your family's important. You've been gone all week. You need to be with your family. I'm telling you, be with your family because relationship's important. And your attendance doesn't prove to me that you're connected to the Bridge Church. We know each other. I know how your heart is. And it's a shift in the way we're trying to do church here. It's got to, now I want it to filter into every area of our church. That we know each other. That we spend time with one another. That we break bread together. This is a stretch for me. I'm, I didn't even plan going this way with it today, but we'll, we will. And we'll finish the rest later maybe. I'm very selfish with myself. I'm selfish with how much of me other people get. Very selfish. Hello? <laughs> Someone can ask me a point-blank question that's trying to draw me into conversation, and I will most times withdraw. Mike's like, yeah, you did it to me this weekend. No. <laughs> At the men's camp out. Uh, I learned some things. I'm learning some things about myself. I'm so selfish with giving of myself. And it's not okay. It's good to have boundaries, but it's not okay. People need each other. Don't be selfish with yourself to other people. Jerry, don't be selfish with yourself to other people. You, don't be selfish with yourself. There are things inside of you that are necessary for other people to connect to. You've learned some things that other people haven't learned. It would be much easier for us to learn from your wisdom than from making the mistakes that you made to get the wisdom you already earned. Amen? Relationship has to be the most important thing because if we make relationship the center point, it will take care of all the other things. Amen? Our values will create our disciplines. You guys okay? Legalism will always start with an outward behavior. It will never start with the heart. So listen to me. Here's a way that you can know whether... Legalism is trying to creep in or whether God's trying to convict. If it's conviction from God, he speaks to the heart matter. He doesn't even address the behavior at first. <laughs> he talks about the heart, your attitude. 
What's going on with your heart? What's going on with your attitude? Jared, your attitude was wrong here. The behavior was horrible, but the attitude was the root of the bad behavior. So we know it's conviction from God when he begins to speak right to the heart. What the Bible says? The word of God is quick and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us. It divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Right? Now when it's legalism, it speaks to the behavior first. It points to the behavior. Amen? All right. That doesn't mean that the thing that, that's wrong doesn't need to change. It just means I have to start in the right place. And I'm going to go through this, the rest of this pretty quick, all right? Paul was very frustrated with them because they started out in the spirit through faith and they ended up somehow back in legalism and in, in the flesh. And, it, and its end result is always more bondage. The scariest thing is for someone who's set free to taste freedom and then still be okay with bondage somewhere. Do you know that through history, you can even study this, there has never been a free nation that lost its freedom that ever became free again. America needs to listen. <laughs> there has never in the history of the world been a nation or a government that was based on freedom of the people that came under tyranny, that brought bondage back into it, that ever became free again. It's scary. So he's saying, guys, you're in freedom. Don't you dare dabble into idolatry or bondage again. Stay free, guys. Don't you remember how terrible that old legislation was? Don't you remember how it didn't give you any life and it, it did nothing for you? Doesn't this taste so much better? And the Lord's saying to that to us as a church, do not allow this, this thing to come in. I'm going to jump to a couple of things at the end that were key. In Galatians 5, Paul's talking to them, and the thing that frustrated him the most was that all of a sudden there was a group of people that were believers that had, that had been circumcised, and there were a group of brand new believers that were um, Gentiles. They were unbelievers. They were, idol they were idolatrous people. And so it wasn't in their customs to do this. And they got saved. They came into the gospel of the kingdom. And they're going, hey, you guys need to get circumcised like we are. And I'm sure their first answer was like, what is circumcision? <laughs> and when they explained it to them, they're like, no thanks. <laughs> I'm 45 years old, man. No way I'm doing that. <laughs> And they're like arguing in the church like over this thing being done. And Paul comes in and he's like, oh my gosh, would you guys just chill out? I can tell you some funny, I'll tell you a funny thing. He said, I wish they would just go ahead and just cut themselves all the way off. <laughs> just stop this. Stop the madness. He says there's no redemption in circumcision or uncircumcision. It does not matter. Does that mean that Paul was secretly uncircumcised and he was pretending to be a good Jewish person? No. Paul himself was circumcised. He wasn't against circumcision. He was just saying, guys, you're making a secondary thing. That's, it's an inferior thing. You're making it important. And because you're making it important in a way that it shouldn't be, it's causing chaos in this church. He's like, stop it. Knock it off. I don't care if you... Get circumcised or don't get circumcised. Just believe in Jesus Christ. 
He's like, just don't commit adultery on your wives. Don't eat food that's sacrificed to idols. Don't eat anything that's strangled with bl- and, and blood is on it. And just love Jesus. And everything will be okay. He didn't deal with anything else. He just said, guys, just stop these few things. Don't worry about all the other stuff. We're in a day and age where we make the minor things the important things. And it's really because we never want to deal with the root issue. Because sometimes it always seems easier to just deal with a fringe thing. Sometimes it's easier to, to cut it off and it seems like we're okay now because that fringe thing is gone. But the thing that's in our heart is hidden and no one knows it. But we have no exterior behavior to show how evil we are, right? So sometimes we just want to deal with fringe stuff. And God's like, I'm tired of dealing with out here. I want to deal with the heart. I want to fix the heart. And so he's saying, guys, just knock this off, okay? When God tells you to do something, do it. If God doesn't tell you to do it, then don't do it. Simple, right? See, true freedom can only come through grace. And we're going to close out, all right? True freedom can only come through grace. And this is what I think grace is. Grace reveals what is in someone's heart, whether it's good or bad. Grace reveals whatever's in the heart, but it empowers the person to decide for themselves whether or not they're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Grace does not make you do anything. Grace reveals things that are good or bad and says, okay, now you're empowered to fix it. Are you going to fix it or not? It's totally up to you. That's what grace is. Think about it in these terms. Jesus knew what Judas was from the beginning. Yet he had fellowship with him. He he broke bread with him. He spent three years of his life pouring into this person he knew was going to betray him. But grace says, okay, whatever's in your heart is going to grow. When you come into God's presence, whatever's there is going to grow and reveal itself, good or bad. When the bad thing reveals itself, God says, okay, now you have the authority and the power to fix this thing with me. Are you going to fix it or not? That's what grace is. Amen? Grace believes that people have the ability to determine what is good or beneficial what is bad or detrimental grace believes that people will make the right decisions the law believes that people must be controlled to do what is right it believes that someone has to tell people what to do or what they can't do or what the consequences are or they'll make the wrong choice you guys still with me grace flows from fathers fathers empower and release and fathers equip people so that they can be responsible for themselves. I think we've run into a thing in the last few months as a church. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for me. <laughs> I really do. Like, if I just take a, a bird's eye view of our church, when we really started teaching this message of personal responsibility, how many saw some things rise up? Issues rise up. Frustrations rise up. The enemy rise up to try to stop you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to take responsibility for your life. Because he knows when you do that, he has no hold on you. You guys okay? If there is bad behavior in a person's life, a father is concerned about how the behavior affects the person. 
I'm going to say that a different way. If there is bad behavior, fathers are concerned because of how it affects the person. Law flows through teachers and guardians. Guardians control and they take the responsibility of the behavior. Listen to me. We as a church had grown into this. You help me get through my problem thing. You help, I can't do this alone. I need your help. If that could be a person praying for you in the altar. That could be pastor. I need your help. That could be Vanessa. I need your help. Somebody help me through this. We have shifted that attitude in our church. I mean, recognize that. We've done that. That doesn't mean we don't want to pray for people. Absolutely. We want to pray because there's power when we come into agreement. But it's not an, um, an unhealthy thing because you're responsible. You can do this. And that message has been coming out loud and clear. And I feel like collectively, may, you may not have even noticed it, but collectively we've all been like, oh my gosh, this is a me problem. It's not because of how people are treating me or because of things that happened to me in my past or because of the things I'm surrounded by. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with me. And that's kind of a, a slap to wake up, you know? And as a church, we're waking up, and now we're growing into maturity. We've been in a, a, a digging mode in the last few months. It actually started about a year and a half ago with the message, remember this, above all else, Guard your heart. Managing your heart. How many times did we talk about managing our hearts? The Lord's been trying to teach us, take responsibility because you're powerful people. You're free people. And grace is here to help you through any situation. The grace of God will empower you. And we've been talking about that. But here's the problem under the old message. If there's bad behavior, teachers are concerned because of how the behavior affects them. Used to, if a teenager or a young adult was on my youth staff and they did something stupid, they got drunk or did something dumb, I don't know, whatever it was, I was very concerned on how that made me look as their youth pastor. Well, what are they going to think about duo if they know that our kids are doing stupid stuff? That's a teacher mindset. That's a guardian mindset. So the Lord's having to shift it. Look, I don't care how it affects me. I'm more concerned how it affects you. You heard Matt say that today from the offering. When our church is not generous, it does affect the church. But you know what? It's more important on how it affects you personally. Matt said the same. You hear the language? Look, the church, we're going to make it. God's our provider. But this is for your benefit. Matt said that very thing this morning, similar, similar different words, but that very message. This is for your benefit. Why? Because fathers want you to know you're powerful. These things affect you. My personal relationship affects me. I'm only going to answer for whether or not I told you the right things or not. I'm not going to answer whether or not you did them. That makes me feel so good. Oh. I'm going to stand before God and say, hey, so-and-so didn't do that thing that you told them a million times. Well, talk to them, God. <laughs> like, I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for yourself. And in that comes such freedom. I don't have to make rules and say, everybody, please do all these things to show me that you're in right relationship with God. I can change that message and say, hey, everybody, know God. Because I know that if you know him, he'll tell you what to do. 
He'll fix the stuff that needs to be fixed. That doesn't mean that we won't have rules on ministry and, and things that are important and guidelines to direct the people that minister in the church here. That's absolutely going to happen. And as a matter of fact, we're going to crank it up as the days grow on. And it's going to be more elite. We want the best of the best. But it's not going to be the best of the best that can do the rules that we tell them to do. It's going to be those that have such a heart connection to God. They, they respond when God initiates. We want you on our team. If you hear God's voice and you do it, I don't care what your talents are, what your gifts are, we want you on our team. Man, that's where we're moving as a church, right? The danger in church is for us to start off with freedom and go back to the other things. Righteousness is relational, and it will affect our lifestyle. Amen? Does God care about behavior? Yeah, he does. Like, just like with my kids, I care about behavior. I get more embarrassed when my kids act up than I should. I'm telling you, man. If we're in a restaurant, Mandy's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. Because like, my kids are rowdy, and they will get rowdy and stuff, and Matthias is just tough sometimes. And I just want to crawl under the table. I'm like, we're better parents than this, everybody. I pro- I'm a pastor. <laughs> we teach family life program at our church. We teach people how to parent. <laughs> Look at us. I get so embarrassed. And God's like, why are you embarrassed? Your kids are going to have to start taking responsibility for the way they act. I'm like, okay. That makes me feel a little better. So next time they do it in a restaurant, I'm just going to talk to him, man. I don't know. Talk to the wife. I'm good. I'm a good father. The behavior is important, man. You want to you go to a restaurant and not ruin people's moods. Like, we have ruined a lot of people's moods at restaurants. We walked in a couple of Saturdays to go to a restaurant, and it was real quiet in there because it was a little bit early for lunch. And there was a, a family sitting back there just having a nice, quiet lunch until we got there. <laughs> and I just wanted to apologize to them, pay for their meal or something. Does this make us okay? Don't look down at me like that, you know. <laughs> Behavior is so important, and it's important to God. He wants to say, look at my kids. They're doing all the right stuff. Look at them. They're healing the sick. They're casting out demons. They're cleansing lepers. He's not going to say, oh, look at them. They don't do this thing. Look at them. They don't watch TV. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Look at my kid. He doesn't go to a rated R movie. Oh, that just, mm. That's what I was going for when I wrote this new covenant. <laughs> Does that mean that those things may not need to be taken care of in a personal relationship? Yeah. There are things that God requires of us individually. Right? But what he champions in our behavior is when we respond as sons and daughters. I'll close again with this. <laughs> this third or fourth time. In James, he gives a new definition of sin. It does mean to miss the mark. But then he says like this. It's James 5, 17. Anyone then who does not do the good that they know to do sins. Like, we can understand the other one. I know when I do the wrong thing, it's sin. It's so easy to know that. 
Like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I did this. It's the wrong thing. It's clearly sin. But he wanted to bring a new awareness to us. Look, I'm more um, interested in you doing the right things than not doing the wrong things. Not doing the wrong things is an external issue. But if you can train yourself and your heart to do the right things, everything else will take care of itself. So God champions those that do the good that they know to do. Why? Because we're protecting our connection to Him. Amen? This isn't about making it to heaven and getting on a list of people that were good. This, this is about falling in love with God and doing everything we can to protect our relationship with Him. That's the number one thing. Look, God, I don't want to hurt you, God. And I not only don't want to hurt you, I want to make you happy. So I want to do things that you like. Because I want to, not because you told me to. Amen? Everybody good? Well, won't you stand and see how to... It's always, again, I'm so weird with altars. Because my first instinct, whenever I feel like I need to fix something, is to go be by myself. <laughs> I need to just go by myself and pray. I don't want anyone around me. I don't want anyone making any noise. I need to focus. So when we're in a corporate setting, forgive us as we learn this transition in, because I, I long for the day where people are healed and miracles happen right in here, right? But not at the expense of them not happening outside, right? So I want you right now to just figure out a way to close everything out and if this word challenged you, if it was for you, and there's some internal things you need to shift and have God talk to you about, I want you to do it right now. If you need to come to the front, please do. Um, that, I think there's an outward sign of doing something. If, if it's kneeling at your, your seat, you're doing something. It's taking a step. If it's walking down an aisle and kneeling up here, do it. All right? But just respond. Respond to the Lord. And if, if this is for, your, for you right now, you know how to have a talk with Him. Amen? So, ready? Pray. <laughs> Old school huddle.